Many years ago, the Lord put it in our hearts that every time we came to this house, we were going to learn something in the Word that we'd never seen before. And I think that God has been faithful to that miraculously over the years. I remember when Brother Burley was here, he was uh, such a, he's such a gracious fellow. We stay in contact with each other, but he, he marveled at that. And he said, I've never heard any, I've never heard in my travels anybody say that. And um, I never heard anybody say it either. And that's really neither here nor there, but that's God's promise to us. So today we're going to learn something new. I trust that you have been um, studying the, uh, the, the, the words that we talked about on Wednesday Night Live regarding the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I have been working those uh, diligently over the past number of days and putting them together, grouping them together, and it's, it just really is a miraculous depiction of what God has given us to do. And um, so yesterday, <clears throat> I spent many hours putting together outlines for our upcoming seminar, and um, I felt the Lord talk to me very clearly about the passage that we're going to look into in Matthew chapter 4. So if you would like to turn to Matthew 4, I'm sure Scott will be putting those scriptures up on the screen, but you can turn anyway, um, beginning at verse 12. Now, before we read this, we're also going to be linking with Isaiah 9, and we're going to see something about that connection and the powerful words in Isaiah 9 that I've never seen before, and, and it's, it's a very powerful thing having to do with the ministry of Jesus and the kingdom. Um, leading up to this time that we're going to read about in Matthew 4, you had Jesus being baptized, and then you had the wilderness temptation, the 40 days, 40 nights of fasting, and then the temptation coming. And then we come to what we're going to begin reading in verse 12. Um, I do want to, to just make mention of the timeline here. And if you were to do any study of this, you would find that there's great confusion in the theological world about the timeline of um, John being tossed in the slammer and um, Jesus beginning his ministry. Um, in fact, um, I think that it's very easily explainable, but I just want to warn you that if you do any study about this, you're going to find a lot of confusion about people saying, oh, the timeline's messed up. How could this be? Uh, you, know, you know the way they do. They strain at a gnat and they swallow a camel. Um, the, the reason that John was thrown in prison, we know, is because he began to address Herod's illegitimate marriage. And um, the, the reason there's confusion, particularly with uh, the, the Jewish historian Josephus, is that the backstory of why this was an illegitimate marriage was the fact that Herod had been married already to the daughter of a man named Aretas, who was the king of Jordan. And when Herod got his eyes on this 
other woman, and I won't go through all the details, he summarily divorced the daughter of this king. And this king did not take that lightly. This king, according to the historical records, went to kind of a, it was a war, but it was a, a smaller war with Herod because Herod insulted the kingdom. Now, this is a matter of historical fact. And the problem is that people debate uh, the timeline because this war, according to Josephus, happened in like 35 or 36 AD. And we don't really know. I guess Herod acquiesced and he gave some kind of um, financial uh, an apology and um, I, I don't really know all the backstory of the of the, the the Peyton place that was going on there, but some people would say, how could John be put in prison right now at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when when the when the actual war didn't happen um, chronologically until um, thirty five or thirty six. And it's a very easy thing to explain, and I, I shouldn't probably even bring this up, but it's there anyway, that um, we don't really know how long John was in prison. We don't know that. The, 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 uh, the timeline isn't really there, and we don't know how, um, we don't really know how long after this dalliance and this divorce and the remarriage and bring me the head of John and the Baptist, we don't know when that happened, and we don't really know when this war actually happened. You know, these were neighbors, and, um, you know, we don't really know how long it took Eretus to get stewed up enough to where he gathered his armies or his army and attacked whatever he attacked. Some suggest that after Herod killed John, that this battle happened after Jesus was crucified and rose again as kind of the beginning of Israel's troubles. That there was a war then, and then there was dissatisfaction, and then the Romans got stirred up in 69 and came and laid siege to the city. You know that history, but um, there is no confusion here. I mean, if the scripture says this happened when it happened, it did. So immediately after, immediately after um, Jesus came out of the wilderness temptation, it says here, when Jesus, verse 12, look at verse 11, just so you see that what I'm saying is true. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. And this is Matthew. So Matthew is very meticulous. Verse 12, now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast, Sea of Galilee, not the Med, in the borders of Zebulun, I love Zebulon, and Nephthalim, which is Naphtali, that, here's, here we go, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, 
light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this was a transitional point for Jesus. Um, John the Baptist fulfilled the righteous vision that God had given him, the baptism of Jesus, the fulfillment of the uh, friend of the bridegroom, welcoming the ministry of the Lord, and then immediately Jesus steps into this role of training people in the study of the kingdom of heaven. And, um, and I, I, I dare say that as we've studied this, if you've looked at it, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, all the ways that Jesus spoke parables, all the ways that it was spoken of in, um, in the New Testament, it absolutely, I don't want to even say parallels, it absolutely describes the pathway that God has had you and I on. All the ways of knowing the Father, seeking after righteousness, sowing all that you have so that you can um, purchase this pearl of great price, this field of treasure, uh, serving the will of the Father, knowing the will of the Father, getting the keys of the kingdom um, of, of heaven, um, and, and on and on. Every one of that framework describes the ministry of the saints. It just absolutely does in very clear ways. When, we, when, when people in the church talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, they either think the movie with Orlando Bloom, which is about as spiritual as a doorknob, or they think about some whoo of something coming. Oh, let the kingdom come, your will be done. And it, it, is, it is not... It is not as Jesus said in one of the passages, not with observation. It is within you. It is development of who you are supposed to be in God, in partnership with the Father, in devotion to knowing Him and hearing from Him. And, and so we're going to be speaking about this probably in a couple of sessions next week at seminar, and I'll have it laid out for you. But at this point, Jesus began to speak and to teach about the kingdom of heaven. John spoke about it in a way of repentance, preparing the way. Jesus uh, began this, and everywhere he went, he would teach these things about knowing the Father, uh, sowing your life into him, being what you're supposed to be and representing what heaven wants to do. And, um, and, and it goes on from there. He, taught, he told his disciples to go and teach on the kingdom of heaven. He said that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached for a witness, a martyria, throughout all the world, and then the end would come. That is what we are doing right now. We are ministers of this message that Jesus meticulously lays out. Very clearly he lays it out. If you just piece it all together, and as I said, it describes what we're called to do as saints. Now, how does this link up? How is this a fulfillment of Isaiah? How? You know, it's just kind of a weird thing. You know, Jesus is being tempted by the enemy. He triumphs there. The angels minister him. He hears John is put into prison. And uh, so he just begins then to declare the kingdom of heaven 
that it might be fulfilled what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9. Well, let's talk about this, okay? You remember when we were studying about the tribes of Israel, and we were looking at the various dynamics of what they represented or should have represented before God. And you remember that we talked, we took great pains to talk about what Issachar represented. Those ones that heard from God, knew what Israel ought to do, prophesied and declared it. And we talked at that time about how vital that influence was of all the tribes. And right beside them, not just in geographical assignment, but in, in practical relationship were Zebulun and Naphtali. Zebulun being the skilled warriors who knew how to keep rank, were not of double heart, they were expert in war. And then Naphtali, which very clearly describes as captains, those who had a structure of warfare, they were shield bearers, they knew how to set in motion what the army was supposed to be, but the real strike force was Zebulun. And those two supported as a, as a cutting-edge response to what the Spirit was saying through Issachar. You remember those studies that we did? And remember when we also did a couple seminars ago, one of the sessions was whatever happened to Issachar. And we went through how the enemy basically destroyed this calling and how the enemy caused there to be uh, just uh, a lack of that understanding. So this is what Isaiah referred to, and this is what is said here in this very important passage. You know, note the importance of this. This is the inspired word of God. This is God-breathed. So Jesus comes out of this wilderness temptation. Somebody tells him John's been put in prison. And immediately, this prophecy of Isaiah is stated about Naphtali and Zebulun, and Jesus begins to go and teach about the kingdom of heaven. Why is this? Why is there darkness? Why is there dimness? They sat in a region, the shadow of death, light should be springing up. There was this terrible darkness. It's because Naphtali and Zebulun were lost. The, the tribal influence that was supposed to have been prophetically hearing from God and speaking words that would inspire and direct them was gone. The light had gone out. And subsequently, that region on the western slope of Galilee was in darkness and there was a shadow of that, an influence of that darkness. So Isaiah says the same thing. And we're going to read this and, and, and we're going to connect this again with Jesus. Um, but Isaiah says that it's Zebulun and Naphtali again and here is this darkness it doesn't mention Issachar, but we know from our studies of the word that Issachar was the one that inspired and brought about this measure and impartation of 
let's follow, let's go after what God wants. That was gone. It was obliterated. That's what Samuel tried to restore, wasn't it? You know, what, what, what was Samuel responsible for? Well, you serve here like a, Cinderella, like a male Cinderella here in Shiloh, and the lamp, that lamp there, that light there is going to go out. Now, you have a responsibility to keep the oil flowing in that, as well as to be a step and fetch it for Eli and his two wayward sons. But that measure of keeping the light flowing, because there was no breakthrough word, the Bible very clearly says, it was, it was so rare, it was not there. What did Samuel do then? Samuel rose up as a seer and led them into the prophetic ministry and began to establish schools in very key places throughout Israel so that he could train people how to hear from God and how to seek God in that covenant land that God had placed them in. Over and over again, this was what God intended to do. And over and over again, the enemy shut it out. So when we go forth as saints in the many, many nations that God continues to open doors for us to minister in, our job is to identify sons or those called to be sons and to begin to instruct them on what the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven really is, scripturally, not some fanciful things that some nutty prophet under a tree heard somewhere, not to say that all prophets are nutty, but there are some. The Bible says there are many false prophets. So is, what does the scripture say this is? And if you meticulously lay it out, what Jesus taught over and over again, it amazingly describes what you have been doing over these years. And that's what, when we go to speak the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, this gospel of the kingdom that's what we're sowing into these places so that light can arise from the darkness. Light can arise where darkness is ruled, and those dear ones can begin to shine the Father. Jesus said in Matthew, in the very next chapter, you are the light of the world. Jesus said in verse 14 of, of, of Matthew 5, and then in verse 16, he says, let your light shine that people would see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You are the light. You are the light that God raises up. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said. It's not coming on a cloud somewhere, even though I'm sure that will be there, but it's within you. So we have a responsibility to be that light. We have a responsibility to hear from God and to let, let that light shine. Oh, darkness is upon the earth, gross darkness of people, but what? My light will arise. What does arise mean? It will come up from you and permeate out from you. Look that word up. It's not like it's just some dew that falls on your head. It comes from within you. That same word was used to describe how leprosy arose in somebody, sadly. It just began to crop up from within. That's where the light comes from. So, this light is the answer for dark from darkness. And when Jesus came as the light in, into a world that was dark, it says that the darkness could not comprehend it. Now, that means a lot of things. It means that it can't resist it. It also means that it can't understand it. You're going to be lights in the world in the midst of this darkness and this gross darkness. It's just like so many people in the world today are speaking some 
other, not just another language, some other philosophy that you think, what is wrong with you? Is your brain not functioning right? You, you, what are you saying? So this darkness is so confusing. The God of this world blinds the mind since the, they see the glorious light of the gospel that Christ is shining through you. You just better be ready for that. We're not daunted by that. Light will always overcome darkness. But the point is that it's not going to be some beacon from heaven necessarily. You know, that happened on the Damascus Road. I don't think anybody wants that experience. But the light shines through you. And so let's take a gander, which is an old English word for look, at, at uh, Isaiah 9, okay? Let, let's just look at what this prophecy is. You know some of these verses, but I dare say you probably just skipped through this, um, this first part of it to get to the, 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 every battle of the warrior is garments uh, filled with blood and then offered as a sacrifice. But let's look at this. Verse 1 of Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, the dimness, 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 <laughs> I felt like I should speak Portuguese and put a <laughs> on the end of it. The dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Why did he do that? Because of what we just said. And afterward did more grievously affect her, afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwelled in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. This is a new variation of what the shadow of death is. It's just not spooky. I wonder what's around the corner. You know, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we won't fear because who is with us? Jesus is with us. He's the light. He's the truth. He's the way. I love that. Well, let's keep going. You have multiplied the nation, but not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor is in the day of Midian. Now here, verse 5. Every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. And what comes next? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. And um, the Lord sent a word unto Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel. It goes on. I look at this ninth chapter, and immediately I gain clarity for what is re referred to here in Matthew 4 about the kingdom. I also think about what Jesus asked us to do in Revelation 3 regarding the word to the Laodiceans. And remember what he said, I counsel you to buy gold of me tried in the fire that you would receive a garment that I'm offering 
and that you would then have your eyes anointed, which we talked about prophetically earlier, that your eyes would be anointed so that you can see and perceive. This lines up here. It does. What is our assignment? What is the goal of our responsibility? To take this message of the kingdom into the places throughout the world that God is opening and to raise up sons and to teach them how to know the Father, how to seek his mysteries, how to commit their way to him, how to hear from God, how to take the keys of the kingdom so that the gates of hell will not prevail, and on it goes. That's our assignment in the midst of places that have been ruled by darkness. Why is it ruled by darkness? Because there are no people who will welcome the light. What you know, one of the other wonderful passages about the kingdom of heaven, it's a parable of the ten virgins. And what were the five moros, foolish ones, who were not going to keep following the mysteries of God? They had no oil. That The oil for the lamp is within. Whatever that measure of commune and submission to God within them, it dried up. And without that, there's no light. This was not... Uh, electric light this was an oil lamp and and so you know it's important for us to recognize that the light and the kingdom is within you comes from within and it radiates outward and that drives away the darkness you who is you are the light of the world that's what Jesus said so the first burden the gold the treasure the weightiness, the malleability of this precious offering is that. Second, this, as we've studied before in verse 5, we talked about how in the ancient days, at least, and this is exactly what it refers to, if there's been a battle and you're out there, you're out there hip and thigh, killing thousands, you're going to get bloody, and those garments are then going to be unclean. So you take them and you offer them as a sacrifice, an offering of thanks to God, and it is burned as an offering to him. And then you don't run around naked, you get a new garment, which is the second thing that Jesus said you will receive from me in that seventh church of Laodicea. The third is that we would have our eyes anointed. And again, this was referred to earlier. You have your eyes anointed so that you might perceive, that you might deduce, that you might let, be led into the way that God is wanting you to function in the days ahead. And, um, you know, Les was talking about shadow. Uh, there's probably a lot of a rote behavior that has been patterned in there. We have to be very careful with our eyesight that we just don't... Um, is you, did you ever... You know, it, it doesn't happen in my house very much anymore. But, you know, when I get up in the night, I know where everything is, so I don't turn any lights on. I just move about, you know. I go to my prayer places, wherever the spirits lead me to do. And if by some chance after I've gone to bed at grandpa hours, my wife decides to rearrange something, I'll bang into that. And I don't like that. And then I say some words that probably aren't pneumaticos. But, uh, you, know, you know, some Pentecostal shoot or something like that, you know, something holy means the same thing, but it's a holy word. It's a pasteurized word. You know any of those words, friend? I'm sure you do. Um, but anyway, um, we, we, we ought to be very careful that we just don't do things the way we've always done them. 
And this anointing then is when a child is born unto us, and, and unto us a son is given. What do we talk about being converted and becoming as a little child and then being converted? You know, you can be a child and not be converted. You can be in the family and be of really not much use to the kingdom. It's just true. I've pastored a long time. I can give you a long list of illustrations of that. Um, and I pray that we won't be that way. But a child is born and a son is given. The question is, will we accept that role of becoming sons, which is what we're supposed to be, and then to accept with Christ the government, the assignment of the Lord upon our shoulders, to be those that will lead people into wisdom and to be counselors to them and to know the mighty God and to know the everlasting Father. We're going to look at a passage that clear. There's a lot of them about the kingdom and the Father. It's just everywhere. Um, the, the Prince of Peace, wherever we're going with the Lord on behalf of the Father in this mission, it's going to be, it's going to be victorious. It's going to be successful. And that's what we need. Right now, we're being changed. Our perspective in this seventh day, this place of rest, we're reflecting, yes, but we're evaluating what God wants us to do in the new day. It's not you come to this day of rest and you say, boy, that sure was good. Let's just do it all again. Uh-uh. That's not with God. He says, I don't want that leaven of past victory. I want to speak to you with bread from me that is without leaven. I'm not relying on what you've done in the past. I'm relying on your yieldedness and your humility to go forward. When you do that, you will gain my assignment to bring this light. You will gain my assignment to be robed and outfitted with the new garment, the linen of righteousness, the linen of the saints. And you will go forth with me being led by the Spirit into new pathways. And that's what God will say. I love this business of light. There's, an, there's another, and you know, and again, if you're going to study this, great. But just know you're going to get a dollop of it next week, so you might well just save your energies. Um, but the, this whole business of where light comes from and how we're to function in it on behalf of the Father is part of this kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God uh, ministry. So um, we're going to look at one more passage, but I just, and it's going to be in Matthew 13. We're just sticking with Matthew today. Um, you can go ahead and begin to head that way. But when Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he hears that John's ministry, John's functional ministry over there at the Jordan has now come to an end, he'll still be functioning there in that prison. Remember, he sent some of his disciples from that place. Can you go and ask Jesus, are you the one that's coming? We don't know how long that was. And again, if you think you know, just look it up and see. There's, there's about 10 different opinions in the time frame. We don't have a chronology that's really accurate. We just don't. We have a close timeline, but we really don't. But the point is, is that I believe the progression of the Scripture here. So Jesus, okay, John's gone now. He's still here. But his active ministry is gone. He's prepared the way for me. 
now I'm going to fulfill what Isaiah said. I'm going to begin to teach people how to hear from God, how to know him, how to know what the people of God ought to do. This will then mobilize these people that are really called to be warriors for the kingdom, these people who are supposed to be substantiating the, the framework of the army so that they'll have a focus so that they can go forward and be that light. That's the first thing it says about Jesus' ministry. Once he's baptized, once he comes out of the wilderness, boom, there you have Isaiah 9. And it's saying that it might be fulfilled. And I'm sure you're like me. You just read that and probably chuckled over it the way the Greek spelled um, Zebulun and Naphtali. And then you just went rolling on. But that is vital because that's the essence of the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus then began to preach the kingdom of heaven. And he was basically going about teaching about that. How many parables? How many? I should have listed them. They're everywhere. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. Bum, bum, bum. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. He's teaching about the very things that you have lived. And now you have a responsibility to impart and teach. That's why the gospel of the kingdom, what we're talking about, shall be preached for a witness, for people to be able to give their lives to on behalf of the Father throughout the entire world, and then the end comes. This is our mission. It's not some abstract, it's not some off the wall, well, what about this ministry over here? What about this ministry over here? What about this? Oh, we bless them all. But you've been given what the Scripture said is absolutely necessary for these end times. That's why in the book of Revelation and in Daniel, the saints were the ones that were in the crosshairs of the queen of heaven, the beast, the false prophet, the antichrist, and all the other miscreants that follow them. Because of this business of the kingdom of heaven and restoring what God wanted from the beginning. So, let's look at, I just like, there's so many passages, but I just like this one. I like it for a number of reasons. It's a great comfort to me because sometimes I don't, as the old preacher would say, I don't know about you, but I get frustrated with all the other words. But, you know, the Bible says there are many voices in this world and none without signification. I recognize this. But a lot of them just absolutely compete with what the real message is, and it just kind of frustrates me. It's kind of like if you're a, an organic eater and you like to feed your body with the fuels and you're just going down the street and you see Burger King and you see Whataburger and you see all this other stuff and you probably think at some point, those poor people eating all that stuff. I like Chick-fil-A. Notice I didn't like Chick-fil-A. Uh, <laughs> my pleasure. You know, I, 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 I didn't mention them. But, you know, sometimes I'm thinking we're eating the pure word of God why are all these people eating this nonsense? But that's just me. It's probably not you. Let's look at Matthew 13, verses 36 through 43. Jesus has just spoken about the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And the one that he mentions that really strikes the disciples' ideal, and, and they say to him in Matthew 13, verse 36, Jesus sent the multitude away 
and he went into the house. His disciples came to him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares. I'm sure they said, Hey, Lord, what in the world were you talking about with the parable of the tares? Those King James boys says, Declare unto us. Demandez-moi ici. <laughs> so, declare unto us the parable of the tares. And Jesus said, He that sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children, literally sons, of the kingdom. The tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them alongside the good seed is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. You getting all that? As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. Then the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity. And here we go. He shall cast them into a fire, a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of who? Their father. And if you have ears to hear, hear what I'm saying. And then just because he likes to teach on the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, he hides, he hides and with joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Did any of you do that? Did any of you sell all that you had and buy the pearl of great price? I'm pretty sure you did or you still wouldn't be here. But it's for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And I just love this. Here, you just read this in the time of the end that when we've done the work uh, that the Father has asked us to do, you are going to shine like the sun on behalf of the Father. I just think that's amazing. Now, we have indications of this kind of cropping up. Remember when the time Moses came down from uh, being with the Father at, at the top of the mountain, and he comes down, his face is shining, and all those carnal people say, hey, we, we cover that up, man. We don't want to look at that. You just, you just have those encounters, and you tell us. Well, let me tell you, it's better felt than telt. I can tell you that right now. You can tell somebody till the cows come home what you've received on the mountain, but if they're not seeking after God and if their spirit is active, they're, they're not going to comprehend it because they're still more in darkness than they are in light. That's just the truth. And we've studied about having your spirit active, haven't we? We've studied about how that, that then affects your perception and it, 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 it affects how you can understand the things of God and it, and it affects your passion. We've looked at that, but that comes from within. That's what the scripture says. And then Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's, an, it's one, another one of those moments where Jesus is being changed. That's what transfigured means. How could the Blessed Son of God, who'd done all these miracles, never sinned, a virgin birth, all these wonderful things. Why in the world would he need to be changed? Some of you may be asking, you know, I've served God all these years. I have written books. I am a pneumonicos saint. Why in the world would I need to be changed? 
Well, the Bible says that you need to keep on being changed from glory to glory. At every measure where God brings you to a culminative point, a seventh-day experience, then he wants you to present yourself before him and to say, I will do what you are requiring of me again in this new day. Lord, I present everything that I am before you. Let it be a burnt offering before you. Anoint me so that I can hear. Anoint me so that I can see, so that I can follow you. And Jesus, remember, at that mount, his face shone as the sun. His garments were irradiated. He had a literal, a literal, a literal manifestation of the light within. I said, I remember, I, the Lord reminded me of this. Those first couple of years when we were teaching elemental things out of the deep things of the Scripture and people were saying we were unscriptural, there were times where I would look over at the wall and I would see things and I would just speak what I saw. I said, there's coming a day when the, the people who are really serving God are going to have a glow about them. They're going to, to, the people are going to see them and there's, it's going to be a light upon them visibly. And I believe that's going to be a ramification of this. And at that same time, there were several people from all different places that would come in here, and they would immediately come in, begin to pray, and have a vision about a bright light shining or the roof being on fire in the Spirit. This light that God has given is for our Father. This light is to dispel darkness and to really irradiate the glory of God. And, you know, that's, that's the real essence of this, isn't it? That's why God hides himself in darkness, the Scripture says. It's because, first of all, he wants you to seek him, but secondly, he wants you to be the light. You recognize that? Do you recognize that? He wants you to be the light. How many times does the Scripture have to say? So if God didn't shield himself, the magnitude of who he is would overshadow everything that you are. But God, being a loving Father, says, I want my sons to be the light and glorify me. So I'm going to step back, and I'm going to allow them to manifest who I am. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said. And that's the highest compliment that God could pay to any of you, that you would be so close to him, that you would be so on fire with him from within the kingdom of heaven within you, that people would see you and your good works and glorify the Father. Amen? That's the light. It arises from you. It doesn't just rain down upon you. My light will arise upon you. Look it up. It's an irradiation. It's coming from within. And that's what we should be. And that's what we will be. And that's what we are. And that's what we'll teach. And that's what we'll impart. Because that's our message, isn't it? We don't go forth telling people how they're going to drive Bentleys. We go because there's not going to be much gasoline for that anyway. We go to tell people, hey, you're sons of the Most High. You need to know the Father. You need to walk with Jesus, but you need to know the Father. You need to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. 
You need to begin to commune with him and welcome heaven to earth. You need to gain the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You need to be shining that light so that wherever the darkness has held sway, that light will rise in you. This candle of the Lord will burn and the Gentiles will see that light and they'll be drawn. This is just scripture 101. Maybe this new eye salve is allowing us to see it for this day. But I reiterate, this is what God has been preparing you for. And bit by bit, we have been faithful in the small things, and we've gone and taught in nation after nation after nation, and God has done great works. But he's looking to you, and he's saying, all right, come to me now. Let's reflect on what we've done, what I've done through you. Let's reflect on the good things. But let's be ready now to say, I accept the new. Prepare me, Lord. Chasten me. Instruct me. Let me know what I need to become so that I can serve you more effectively. I'm going to go with you as an heir and a joint heir. I want to hear from you. So take off the garments. Take off the, the yeast of past victories and give me, let it be an offering to you. I've gladly given and I cast crowns before you too. I don't need them. I need you. And let me be then outfitted with the white linen of the saints, the sha'al of commune with you that represents you, that identifies me as being who I am in you, who you are in me. And let me see things. Let me have perspective in looking into the new day. And let me not miss. Let me fulfill this role as Issachar to know what God is saying, to know what the people of God ought to do so that the warriors and the structure of the army can raise up in different nations and they can glorify the Lord there and the light will shine through them. This all makes perfect sense. And this is what Jesus is doing in this day. But I dare say over and over again, you look at these passages, it's all about his father. It just is. It's all about him, that he would be glorified, that his light would shine. Just like this passage we just read, and I, I, I just love this. I just love this. <laughs> then shall the righteous shine as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Wow. That's what we're preparing for. And I, I know that God is with you. So, whew, Father, I, I just thank you that as we, we continue in this time of the evening fast, the time of the evening oblation, and we welcome you each night, Lord Jesus, to come and fellowship and sup with us and to, to address us, to correct us, to teach us, to impart to us. Lord, let this continue. And don't let us miss anything that you would be saying. And I ask you, Father, that during this week of preparation and prayer, leading up to the ingathering of the saints, so many will be coming here, so many will be joining by live stream. Uh, Lord, just let us do exactly what you want. And let us spring forward from here. Give us your agenda. 
for the days to come. And let us be exactly what you would ask us to be. Let us keep on being changed. Let us be converted so that we can enter into this new phase of the kingdom of heaven with you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for taking the time to meet with us, precious Jesus. We honor you. We glorify you. And we thank you. And now, Lord, I ask you that for each of these people in this house and those many that are our family that are joining us around the world today, I ask you that your spirit would come upon them, stir them, fill the place where they are meeting with you now, and may, may your work be done in them. Oh, God. Use us. The time is short. We must be about your business. And I thank you for this. So I speak blessing over your people. I speak healing. I speak restoration. I speak encouragement. I speak provision. I speak everything that we need, which you promised. If we sought first your kingdom and your righteousness, you would add everything we need. I release that promise into your people today. And we receive it for this house as well, knowing that there is nothing, uh, as we're poor in the Spirit, that you will not provide. Thank you for this, Father. We love you, and uh, we look forward to walking this path with you in the days ahead. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well... Thank God for his word. Thanks for allowing us to, uh, to go into these unusual points of teaching. I hope we all learned something today. God bless you all. We'll see you Wednesday for prayer. Till then, bye-bye.